This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Another Way, the podcast of Equal Citizens. I'm Jason Harrow, Chief Counsel and Executive Director of Equal Citizens. I'm here today to bring you part two of our series of podcasts with real live presidential electors whose cases are headed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Last week, we ran a conversation with three electors from Washington State, whose case will be heard as part of the Presidential Elector Day at the Supreme Court on May 13th, which you can listen to live on C-SPAN. Today, I've got a conversation with our three clients from Colorado. They are Michael Baca, Polly Baca, not related, and Bob Nemanich. The three of them were presidential electors nominated by the Democratic Party and expected to vote for Hillary Clinton following the 2016 election. But, as you'll see, circumstances changed, and they determined to try and vote for another candidate in the election, mostly to deny Donald Trump the presidency because, as Polly Baca said, that is not the person that she thinks the voters of Colorado would have wanted to see in office. So, whether they were allowed to do that legally, what motivated them, why they decided to channel the vote of the state in that particular way is a really interesting conversation. It's been an absolute honor for me to represent them. You can hear their case argued in front of the Supreme Court by little old me on May 13th, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern with the Washington case, 11 a.m. Eastern, the Colorado case at cspan.org. Okay, without much further ado, you can, of course, visit our podcast website at equalcitizens.us slash another way. But now we'll get to the conversation I had with Polly Baca, Michael Baca, and Robert Nemanich. Okay, so Polly Baca, let, let's start with you. Thrilled to, to have you here telling the story. You have a really long and really distinguished political career in Colorado. So tell us a little bit about your background in politics in Colorado and the first time you served in as elector, and then how the 2016 process worked for you. Well, I might share that I've been involved in every presidential race since 1960 in one capacity or the other. And I've attended every single national democratic convention since 1964. And I have been running for an electoral position uh, since after, I guess 2004 was the first time I ran. Uh, but I have been, I have served as a member of the Electoral College. Uh, it, this is my fourth time. I was just elected as an elector for the 2020 <laughs> con- uh, college. So um, it will be a total of four times. You know, I I have gotten involved in, as a member of the Electoral College because I was so frustrated by what happened in 2000 when Al Gore was denied the president becoming being inaugurated as president as a result of the Electoral College. He won the popular vote and didn't get uh, inaugurated. So I was I was absolutely curious about that. So I decided I've always been this way. If I don't like something, I get involved and I run and try to change things from the inside. So that's what I've been doing. Um, after this last election in 2016, I was so upset. I, you know, I even got sick that night physically. And the next day I went to a, um, a rally uh, to because I've, I've been so concerned about our DACA students. I went to a rally uh, to support them. And at that rally, this young man approached me, you know, and he, uh, he I had met uh, Michael before, 
I met him at one of our delegate meetings. He was a Bernie delegate and I was a Hillary delegate. But uh, we, we have the same last name, but we're not, well, maybe way back when we might be elected. We're not sure. We haven't been able to trace it, but we have no current relationship at all. So uh, I, I always liked Michael, but I didn't know him that well. But he approached me and he said, Polly, I've been uh, talking all night or emailing all night with a colleague from Washington State who is another elector, and we think we should do something about this election. There's no reason why the Electoral College can't exercise its will and, uh, and elect someone other than uh, this man who currently serves in the White House. And he said, would you help us? And out of my mouth came, yes. <laughs> so that's how I got involved. I just said yes to Michael. And, and then after that, uh, he just would call me and ask me to do things. And then other people started. And I've just been willing to help. Quite honestly, because um, Mr. Trump, in my opinion, was someone who I was absolutely afraid that he would destroy our nation. I worked for Bobby Kennedy in 1968 and was with him when he was assassinated. And I was then, when after Richard Nixon was elected, I even at that time, I didn't fear for my country. But after the 2016 election, I literally feared for my country because this man was opposed to everything that I have ever worked for, you know, that I believe in. And I, I felt you know, if, if we could do anything, you know, to to um, implement the wishes of the United States, or the wishes of the people of the United States through their popular vote, then we had a responsibility as members of the Electoral College to do so. And so that's why I I um, was glad to support Michael in his in his uh, venture. Yeah. So, so, and I want to bring in Mike in, in just a few, but, and, and we'll zoom back in on that moment after the, the popular vote on November 9th, 2016, Polly, but just to go back in time a little bit, you said it's sort of become old hat to become an elector. How, how does the process work in Colorado? So did, did it, did you have to start it in the spring or summer of 2016? No, what I've normally, I, I have the um, advantage of having served in the state legislature for 12 years. And in the 1980s, I was also vice chair of the National Democratic Party. So I have a bit of a history in terms of, of the party in Colorado. And my name is, is rather well known. So I have uh, traditionally just submitted my name. Once I learned how, how to do it, I didn't know how to do this until 1992, the 1992 election, when I discovered that you could run for uh, an electoral position. And so all I do is is uh, fill out a, a, a you know a, a sheet an application. I fill out an application uh, to to be on the ballot as an as an elector candidate in both the first congressional district and statewide. In Colorado, well, in every state, uh, the electoral college is comprised of one member from each congressional district and two members statewide. So I run at both levels. I've never been elected at the CD level. Michael defeated me. He won, you know, mm -hmm. his, his, uh, CD won in 2016. But I always seem to be elected a statewide, and I think that's partially because I have been, uh, I've, I've been around a, a long time, and I've been active in the party at many different levels. 
And it's part of it is just people know your name. And so I, I got elected again uh, this year. So I'll be elected again at the state level. Uh, as a, So I'll, I'll again be a 2020 elector. Yeah. So, so Mike Baca, I want to bring you in now. You have, as Polly mentioned, the same last name, but a little different political background. You were not with Bobby Kennedy in 1968 when he was shot. And this was not your fourth time in the Electoral College coming up. So, so how did you get involved? Yeah, so uh, I became involved as an elector because I had a group of people ask me, I, uh, asked me to be an elector for CD1. Uh, they wanted a, a Bernie Sanders supporter who would be willing to vote for Secretary Clinton should she win the nomination and win in Colorado. Um, and in March 2016, I, uh, 2015, um, I don't remember the year now. So in March before the, yeah, March 2016, uh, I had uh, ran in a race against Polly. And uh, thankfully, I have the same last name as the first female senator in Colorado or first uh, Latino female senator in Colorado, if I believe that's correct, Polly. Um, yeah. But I shared the same last name as her, and uh, so I think I got some name recognition from that. Um, but uh, I ended up winning uh, at the CD1 level. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I was just going on the advice of the group because I believe in civic participation. And so when I participated at the caucus, um, at the Democratic primary caucus, um, we got four applications to be uh, state delegates, county delegates, national delegates, and to be a national elector. Uh, so I just filled out all the paperwork and, you know, I remember telling myself at the time, like, Hey, it, I'll, I'll do this. If no one else wants, I wasn't actively campaigning. I, I wasn't trying to be, I was just, uh, I was actually going shopping at Sam's club when I get a phone call, uh, from and they said, Hey, can we talk about you being an elector? Um, and so from there, I just watched how the event, the, uh, events unfolded from March, 2016 until November. Uh, I learned my job description. Uh, I read uh, the 12th Amendment, Article 2. Uh, I read uh, the Federalist Papers, or some of them, not all of them, but I read some of those. And so I kind of learned what my role was. So I knew that uh, I would have an understanding of the game uh, come you know, November 9th. Uh, yeah, once it was all official. And that understanding. So to go back into the to the summer, um, you were supporting Bernie in, in in the race, as you mentioned. But you were willing to support the Democratic nominee. Presumably, it would be Hillary um, it, after she won. That, that is that right? Yeah, that was yeah, that was definitely an intention leading uh, through November. Got it. Got it. So. Uh, Bob Nemanich, you're the, the other person on the caption of the brief. Uh, and it's, so it's great to have you and your story too is different, just like Polly's and, and Mike's. How, how did you get involved in becoming an elector in 2016? Um, 2016 was a, a result of my party volunteering that went back into essentially 07, 06, after I, I moved here. I was an Obama lead uh, in El Paso County and then ultimately CD. And that got me involved in the party, the actual party. The, 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 how that dovetails, how that moves forward to 16 was, in 08, I ran for an elector. I knew what it was because I was educated political scientist. And, uh, uh, you know, it was just, I, I, I thought it was more of an honor or something that would be pretty cool to do. I knew it put your name in the National Archives, which I don't know how important that is, but it was something cool. Uh, in, in 16, uh, I started helping the Bernie campaign. Uh, uh, I really, 
I like Bernie making the noise, even though I knew it was probably a futile campaign. But here in El Paso County, which is the Democrats are exceptionally uh, progressive, uh, as the uh, as as we brought in Obama, uh, I started working as a liaison between the the, the campaign, the Bernie Bros, the Michael Bacas, uh, and uh, who were new new to politics, new to electoral politics, and the regular party. And uh, that gave me uh, a level of, no, of uh, uh, known, people who knew who I was in the Bernie. So when the CD assembly came forward, in, uh, coming out of El Paso County, we had 62.5% of the votes, delegates. Well, if you're one of the only Bernie people running for an elector, and most of them don't know what that is, as Holly knows from an old politician, if you got the numbers, you're going to win. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, they, they, there was a, a number of party regulars who were from the Clinton side and they split up their votes. But I got 186 votes that day and uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. And uh, but uh, I, I knew coming up to November, things were kind of funny. The, the, the election was weird. It was not it was not right. And uh, so after the election, uh, I had friends of mine coming to me saying, what are you going to do with the, being an elector? How can you stop this? How can you, how can you do anything? And finally, I was trying to find Michael Baca because I knew I had heard from the grapevine that he was trying to start something. But Michael spells his name differently than most people. He spells his Michael uh, with the reverse vowels at the second part. Finally, I found him on Facebook and we connected and that was fantastic. Uh, uh, and, and things happened rapidly in that, that uh, Thanksgiving week. All of a sudden, Jason Wysoki came, uh, came through Michael and I, I talked to Jason and Jason said, we'll try to get everybody together. You know, and so we started calling and emailing the rest of the electors. Uh, we got Jared to come, but the other ones kind of they went off into the back in the in the woods and that's how we got involved and i i think just to sum it up pull it all together uh through that month of november uh, leading up to november 26th i not only was doing a lot of reading uh but a lot of soul searching and i realized that the electoral college was something that was sacred uh that it had been abused and 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 ignored and forgotten for all these years but this was the moment in history that it was it was it had stayed there to try to stop or put at least a political wrench in in a in somebody who's now a tyrant i don't know people want to describe it he's just he's just it's, it's a tyrant and and now i'm i'm reading like today uh bill barr wants to go and start start going after the 12th uh, 10th amendment and start uh being authoritarian to the governors in this in this pandemic outbreak, um, so that's what got me. When and when I found that Polly was going to be involved, I was like, "Well, we got legitimacy now. We're just not a bunch of noisemakers." Sure. And, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but there was noise made. So, so let's go in detail. Let Let's set back up the stage on November eighth, twenty sixteen. So everyone's watching. You all had been elected first by the Democratic Party at various levels. Um, and then you were elected by the voters of Colorado who preferred the Democratic slate headed by Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine. 
to the Republican slate. So you you knew that's where the party was in the state and you knew that's where the voters were in the state. But you also saw that Donald Trump was presumed to win an electoral college majority, even though he lost the popular vote by about three million. So, you know, Polly, as you said, things things start happening really quickly. And and Polly mentioned your name, Mike, as as someone coming up on November 9th. Um, so, so what was, was happening and, and, and I want to ask two specific questions. So first, um, what were, did you start reaching out to electors from other states or how did that happen? And two, and we should set this up for people. It's, it's impossible for electors in the electoral college only supporting the presumptive losing candidate to do anything to change. They do not have a majority. So what was sort of the plan to think about reaching out maybe to others on the uh, to see if folks in the electoral college that were Republicans maybe shared shared a sentiment. Um, knowing that being in the minority of the electoral college gives you absolutely no power, you have nothing, and you get one chance to vote. Um, and so the whole idea was that let me look at the ex- looking at the exit polls. Are there Republicans out there that only voted for Donald Trump because he was a Republican nominee? And yes, there was. Was there, and then the next question was, was there a big enough majority that maybe out there's electors out there just from a random sample of the population, maybe there's the electors out there uh, that would also be like, hey, if we gave them another option, would they vote for a more moderate compromise Republican candidate? My biggest issue heading into 2016 was that Donald Trump uh, was and is a, a climate denialist uh, and having someone that's the leader of the free world uh, helping dictate the climate policy that the rest of the world uh, will look at. Uh, I feel it was too dangerous. And so uh, despite being in the minority, um, I realized that as Democrats, we were going to be stuck with Donald Trump as president, but we could still stop him utilizing the Electoral College. We weren't going to get what we wanted. We were not going to get Secretary Clinton and Tim Kaine in office. Uh, However, there was an opportunity that we could find enough 37, enough Republican electors uh, that would would have been willing to vote against Donald Trump, but for a different Republican. Um, and so this whole movement, uh, it, was, it was an effort to put our country above our party, uh, to move past the squabbling between the, the Bernie Sanders supporters and the Secretary Clinton supporters. It was really an opportunity. I thought we could have really healed this country. However, this was a, it was a big unknown, you know, what would happen going to 2016. Yeah. So, so is it fair to say, and then I want to hear Polly about how you connected with Michael, but so is it fair to say that you were really trying to gather data and get a feel for what the sort of popular sentiment was in your state and others about who should be president and whether Republican uh, or other than Donald Trump should be it or, or because some have said that what you're trying to do with this project is just say, I am one person of these 538 people and no one knows who I am, but I am going to choose the president. Well, well I, that, I understand that's a, a, an unfair characterization, but is it closer to sort of that, that I hold the power view or is it you were really trying to give meaning to the popular vote? Uh, I No, I am just a guy. Um, I no, it was not about that. I am more important. I am one of the, the ones with the, uh, the requisite qualifications to elect the president. Uh, I, I, I'm no more special than any one of us. And we're all, everyone is, you know, special in their own right. Um, but this, this was about looking at what the country wanted. The country clearly wanted a, a Democrat in office. Uh, in Colorado, they very clearly wanted Secretary Clinton. Um, however, if I would have cast that vote for Secretary Clinton, 
it would have done nothing to change the outcome. And so when they told, when Colorado said, hey, we want Secretary Clinton, that told me that they did not want Donald Trump. And so in that ground, that's where I found the leeway that says, if we can still prevent Donald Trump, we're not going to get what we want, but at least I'm avoiding that worst case option because heading into 2016, Donald Trump was preached as the worst case option. Maybe we find a, a more moderate Republican um, and that would have been, I, I was, I thought, acting still in the best interest of all Coloradans. Yeah. Polly, is that sort of what, what you came to uh, view the issue as when you connected with Mike and in early November of 2016? You know, beginning in 2000, I became very frustrated with the Electoral College, and be, primarily because Al Gore received the popular vote and was not, uh, in, you know, in, inaugurated. So I have been looking for a way to, to um, make sure that, that uh, the American people get the president they vote for. And in 2016, they voted for Hillary Clinton by almost 3 million votes. So for me, it was really a matter of, of using the Electoral College to reflect the national popular vote. And that's why when Michael approached me, you know, I hadn't really had time to think about what this all meant. I was just still in mourning, I think, when, when he approached me about the election. But but once he did, it it became very clear to me that our responsibility as electors was to reflect what what the national popular vote was. And I, I did contact or I was in touch with the with Hillary Clinton's office as well as a number of people around the country. And so uh, it was, you know, I was the uh, the Hillary uh, whip captain, you know, for Colorado. So I was I was the person in Colorado that was in charge of the Hillary delegates at the at the uh, national convention by virtue of her office asking me to do that. They asked if I would perform that function. So I had a um, close close relationship and and a commitment to her. But yet, and I told them what I was intending to do. I wasn't secretive at all about how I felt about the Electoral College. You know, that, that um, I didn't believe, as, as Michael pointed out, we knew that we couldn't get Republicans to vote for Hillary. But maybe, just maybe, we could get them to vote for someone else rather than this person who is obviously a, an autocrat, is not qualified to be um, a president who I think if he would ever release his his taxes, we'd find out that he has you know debts to foreign countries specifically. Well, I well you know he definitely indebted to other to foreign countries, which is a, a disqualification. And so for me, it was a matter of of making trying to do something to protect our country. And so that's why I was became very passionate about. Um, about how we could change that. On the other hand, uh, if had we been able to gain the 38 votes, I would have voted for anyone that I was asked to vote for other than, than um, so that we could stop Mr. Trump. Um, unfortunately, I think my count at the morning of, the, uh, of our meeting of the Electoral College, my count was that we got 32, we got up to 32 Republicans that, would, uh, that said they would vote for someone else. I don't know if that is correct or not, but that was what I counted. Unfortunately, it wasn't 38. And so if it, we didn't get the number that we that we um, needed, uh, then I, I felt compelled to, to not put 
people in harm's way and went ahead and voted. You know, I, I voted as I would have wanted to vote in the first place uh, for Hillary. Yeah. And of course, it ended up, even though there was some talk of, of additional Republican electors, two from Texas ultimately did not vote for Donald Trump. And and um, but again, you know, the fact that some folks knew that the outcome wasn't going to change could could have changed behavior. OK, that so was, that was the primary reason I think that we didn't get, uh, you know, why why would Republicans not vote for Trump when they knew they didn't they couldn't impact or affect the outcome? We needed 38. We didn't have them. Yeah. So uh, I I, I want to get to um, the very unusual situation around the litigation in the week before the vote and, and then the very unusual situation with the actual vote, which, of course, led to this lawsuit. But before I do that, I just want to complete the background. Bob, you had alluded to the fact that you didn't initially know Mike Baca and Polly, but by Thanksgiving of 2016, you had sort of connected with them. So so Polly was gracious, as she always is, to uh, invite us to her uh, apartment condominium and have a meeting. Uh, it was Saturday after uh, Thanksgiving, which we were visiting. As circumstances would go, I needed help with Michael because Michael was driving for Uber and my car got broken. <laughs> and uh, we were stuck in, in Denver that weekend. Um, so we, we drove, drove to Polly's apartment. I think immediately the, the four of us were there and then eventually brought in by Jason. We all were on a lot of the same page. I think we knew that uh, uh, the election was corrupted somehow. I think we knew that we were in a unique position. And I also, I, I think we all knew that we couldn't impact the election. The purpose of us dissenting, and I don't want to use the word faithless because that's just a, that's a, a, a term purposely made up in the late 19th century to to. to demand discipline from party people, was that we could give cover, we could give permission for Republicans then to dissent and vote for another person and hopefully get to 38. Um, the, the secret of the Electoral College, which I'm, I, it didn't work, let's face it, it just didn't work. So all of the manifestations of our founders of trying to come up with something that, that, that could save our our, our republic from somebody like a like a tyrant named Trump. It didn't manifest itself because of that loyalty aspect, and the and uh, and if we were able to move 38, 40 Republicans of country over party, I think it would have changed the entire era. Mm -hmm. I think I think the Republicans would have had gone into Congress, and yes, it was fait accompli in the Congress of even how the Twelfth Amendment was going to work that uh, Trump still would have gained the presidency. There would have been, though, an enormous political wound. And I, I think the Republicans would have known that they didn't have that lockstep support that they built, both in the in their political mechanisms as well as uh, among their, their voting base. And uh, that, I think, was a, a big moment for a lot of people. Uh, unfortunately, I do think there were enough Republicans. And I think this all brings us back to our loss. We were limited in calling only states that had unbound electors. The fact that if we were going to use the Electoral College as this mechanism that Alexander Hamilton and the other founders had fought, fought for, they, everybody was needed to have their own discretionary mind in voting. And we were locked. Uh, we were locked in our own stuff. 
the only grace I had even in my back of my mind is nothing had ever happened to quote unquote faithless electors in voting a dissent. It, it just was recorded. That this was something else. And Williams uh, really showed the way of what they were willing to do to protect uh, yeah. Vote. yeah. So, so just to jump in there, Bob. So, as uh, you know, as you're alluding to, the majority of states, 32 in the District of Columbia, have laws that purport to direct their electors of exactly who to vote for. And so, as you mentioned, that made this project of of finding enough electors who might not vote for Trump and who might join a consensus candidate very difficult because they could face harsh penalties, indeed jail time, in some states. If, if, if they didn't vote for the winner of the popular vote, even though there have been deep constitutional concerns about those laws, which now we're on the verge of finally having the Supreme Court resolve. Okay, so because there are these laws on the books, and in particular, there is a law on the book in Colorado, where you all live and where you have major political careers, Polly, Bob, um, you all... Uh, decided to get clarity on this and ask the Secretary of State and and sue as well. So, Mike, I actually don't think you were involved in the lawsuits here. So, I'm going to go first to to uh, back to Polly and 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 then Bob. So, Polly, you uh, started this process of getting an official opinion about what the law was from the Secretary of State or the Attorney General, and then ultimately suing to get an answer and prohibit him from directing your discretion. So how, what, what were those sort of frantic weeks leading up to the Electoral College vote like? Well, quite frankly, um, I feel passionately that, that states ought not to or should not or cannot um, be in, you know, contrary to what the United States Constitution holds to be uh, fact. So my, my concern was that the United States Constitution um, created, or Hamilton, you know, had a say in, in the, the development of the Electoral College. And if we aren't going, if the Electoral College isn't going to be used in the way that it was intended to be used by our founders, then we ought not to have it, or we ought to uh, do something. We, I don't believe that states ought to be uh, contrary to what the United States Constitution holds. And so for me, it was a question of, of how we uh, moved forward. I got very upset when um, the Secretary of State replaced Michael. There was no reason for that. Michael had a right, my, my goodness, we were elected by people in, you know, by our voters in Colorado. We were federally, we were elected to a federal office as electors. And as electors, we had the right to vote any way that we decided we wanted to vote. And if, uh, you know, and, and in my opinion, that's what the United States Constitution says. And so you cannot, you cannot, uh, take an elected person and arbitrarily replace them by someone who was not elected, which is exactly what happened to Michael. Michael had a right to vote however he wanted to vote according to his constitutional rights. There was no reason for the Secretary of State to replace him with a non-elected person. We received votes for a position the person that reflect that replaced Michael had not received votes from uh, voters in Colorado. 
So I was, I was furious when that happened. Yeah. So, so Mike, we'll get to when that, uh, when that happened and it made, when it made Polly mad on December 19th, but Bob, you specifically asked the secretary of state and the attorney general, what would happen? Because as Polly said, you had thought you had the right under the constitution to vote as all other elected officials do, which is to cast their own vote without fear of being sanctioned or removed from office for it. But Colorado had this law that said you couldn't. So, um, you know, you, you decided to sue about it and, and ask for an official legal opinion. And, and what answers did you get? And, and what happened in the run-up to December 19th? Um, well, first, I wrote a, an email or a letter to the Attorney General's office asking for some definitions, uh, which is now a nice, nice little legal thing because it was the Secretary of State's office that wrote back saying that we shall, and they wanted to underline in bold, shall, and we had no choice but voting uh, for the winner of the popular vote in Colorado. Um, that was in many ways a little a little linchpin for our case. Um, but the, the, the process that worked its, itself up, and I'm trying to understand your question as far as lead up. The lead up was that we first had a hearing uh, with Judge Daniels about trying to get a temporary restraining. The only way we could get something was to give us permission uh, that we could vote our discretion legally and protect it from the state law. Um, and, 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 and the thing is, if we would have gotten that TRO, that could have run uh, a wildflower through a number of other states that were sitting ready, ready to uh, have suits filing for a TRO to, uh, to open up their, uh, their electors. But Daniels said, stated from the bench in his pontificating way that he was not going to... Uh, uh, it was change the votes here in Colorado from all the people that voted. And, and in his ignorance regarding that, whether it was truly ignorant, is that the term electors is a legal term that when we're voting for our senators or our aldermen or anybody else, you are an elector. You're the person doing the electing as voters. Voters are not electors in the, in the presidential election. They're, they're electing you, the elector, and then you're the one that has them. Well, a vote is a will. It's something Michael, Michael chose. He, he sought uh, the will to dissent. And dissent is something that's it's critically important in our political system. It is absolutely important uh, because it shows that there's not a unified and we're not authoritarian and everything else. So we were ordered by Judge Starr under uh, in, in implied and threat of contempt of court. If we didn't vote uh, under the state, and still Polly and I were adamant we wanted to go forward. We appealed. We appealed to the, uh, the federal uh, appellate court, the district court. They gave us a little bit of a light. And they said that once voting begins, uh it would be very hard for the Secretary of State to interfere. I don't know the exact words, but that's so right of the text of the Twelfth Amendment. That's what exactly. It is. Yeah, um, it would be un- unlikely. unlikely. Yeah, unlikely. unlikely. Yeah, they, yeah, and those are important. So when when Michael wonderfully dissented and did it in such a theatric way, then Jason, our our small statured attorney with with great passion. He stole the, um, uh, the podium that, uh, that our Secretary of State was using uh, 
and, 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 and cried out saying that the Tenth Circuit is the law of the land. And they said that once voting began. Now, I, I'm going to take this back and understand. The lawyers understand this. The little technicalities. I also wrote a letter to the AG saying, can I get legal representation from the attorney general's office? Because that's in the state law, that electors can get free legal. And they said, I'm not an elector until I take the oath. Mm. So, So they put us in a box saying, well, and then when I got the oath, when we went through that, I still went to them saying, now, can I get some legal representation? Because Jason wanted me to do that. And they said, well, now, now you are, uh, now we're, uh, we can't advocate for you because we're on, on two different sides. So, all right, fine. You put us in catch-22. That was important, though, because back to what the 10th Circuit Court said, that it was unlikely. Well, I don't know if they're thinking about the judgment of Williams or the legal justification, but that's ultimately where we're at. Yeah. So, so, so Mike, let's, let's pick it up where Bob left it off, left off, which is it's, it's December 19th. And as he alluded to, you were able to at least attempt to vote for someone other than Hillary Clinton. You, you show up, you're appointed, you get the ballot. The ballot has one name, Hillary Clinton. And what do you do then? Uh, I see the ballots. Uh, I see that it's pre-filled in with Secretary Clinton's name. Uh, so I ask, uh, I think it was Joe Alden, uh, whoever the secretary of the election was, um, but I asked for the vice presidential ballot because in the grand scheme of things, I'd hope that as electors that we were going to decide amongst the president and vice president, those conversations loosely happened, um, but didn't actually occur. And so I wanted to vote for Tim Kaine for vice president um, while I was still waiting. And so from my readings and my understanding, it tells electors that we are to, to vote for president and for vice president. It doesn't tell me that I, I can't vote. So I didn't want to not vote and then be removed for not following the rules of the Constitution. Um, and so I see Secretary Clinton's name. I, at that point, I'm still truly undecided because I, I see the way that the country is going. Maybe I, I felt that it was unlikely, but the rest of the country hadn't voted yet. And so I asked for the vice president vice presidential ballot. I do not receive it. Uh, so from there, that's when I cross out Secretary Clinton's name um, and I wrote in uh, Governor John Kasich um, and then they removed me as an elector. Um, but because my, my, my duty wasn't done, I was an elector. I was going to fulfill my constitutional duty. Um, so I wrote in Tim Kaine on the back of a vice president uh, on the box of where we got the pen. And that's where I wrote in uh, Tim Kaine uh, for vice president. And then, yeah, the madness ensued. After. Right. But when you say the madness ensues, but that that even though you were the elected one and you were the appointed one, and as we said, the Constitution says that you as an elector shall vote by ballot and then make a list with the electors of the other candidates chosen and send it all along to D.C., you weren't permitted to do that. So what... Yeah, at that um, point, that's what I'm, I was really intrigued because reading the 12th Amendment, we're supposed, as electors, we're supposed to gather the ballots we're supposed to sign them, seal them, and send them to the seat of the seat of the Senate, which is the Vice President of the United States. Um, so the fact that states are reviewing the electoral ballots in that meantime, between after I after the elections have voted and before the, the votes have been transmitted to the seat of the Senate, does this? I don't even know if the state has that right to be. I, the, I guess my point is, Colorado shouldn't have even see my vote uh, until Vice President Biden had read the vote in a special session. Right, right. But they did 
and they intervened. And so ultimately, you know, your vote was not cast. You were sort of summarily dismissed. Polly, as you mentioned, replaced with someone who is not elected by the people who ultimately cast the final Colorado electoral vote for, for Hillary Clinton. And so you, Mike, uh, like a couple of other folks, ended up being one of three electors that are the first in U.S. history to have their votes rejected by state officials on the basis of who they were cast. Okay, but so then, uh, you know, as you described it, it was madness, but Donald Trump is elected. The, the effort to sort of restore the Electoral College didn't work, at least in, on December 19th. But clearly you were passionate about the issue and, and didn't want to drop it because here we are four years later and the issue is continuing. So um, let me go back around the horn to you, Polly. Why, when you woke up either on December 20th or 21st, or maybe you took some time and you saw the inauguration, why did you want to keep the fight up and, and decide this question, which has now become sort of an abstract question because it's not going to change the outcome of the 2016 election, of whether electors really have this right to vote by ballot that cannot be interfered with by a state. I've actually been um, engaged in trying to do something about the Electoral College for, well, since 2000, for the last 20 years. Uh, I, you know, I, I will continue to try to try to either cause the Electoral College to be used as it was intended to be used by the founders of our country or change the Electoral College. You know, it, it, it does not now reflect the, uh, the popular vote at all times. You know, it doesn't reflect how Americans vote for President of the United States. I believe passionately in the one person, one vote principle, which is a democratic principle. And for me, it's a matter of, of causing that to happen. And either we cause the electors to reflect the national popular vote of the, of the uh, population of American voters, or we, uh, we do away with that. You know, we cannot continue to obstruct the popular vote of the American voters. That is just wrong. And we have to do something about that. So I'm going to continue in the fight. This isn't the end of it. So there's, there's political and, and there's legal ways to fight. And, and Pai, I'm glad you kept up the legal fight. Bob, why did, why did you decide to keep going uh, both initially and here we are three and a half years later? Well, the, the point is the Electoral College is not functioning the way it was designed. Uh, and and it, didn't, it didn't provide us the purpose that it was originally put forward to stop a tyrant or for somebody of low moral character to be president, as I think those are the words that Hamilton used. But more importantly, is what Polly echoed, is I am absolutely about one person, one vote, whether you live in the North Slope of Alaska or in the middle of the Bronx, New York. It does not matter. You're, you're an individual citizen. And all the other laws in the country look at you as an individual, not, what, not because you live in a certain state or a certain, you have certain status. And, and all the campaigns run on seeking individual votes. Now, they do it on a, a, now a contrived state-by-state -state contest, but they're still looking for individual votes. And that's the only way you unify the country is having the popular vote. 
So my purpose was to show, demonstrate, scare, do whatever it is. The, the, the country is saying that this electoral college does not work for you, the individual voter, the individual citizen. You know, forget the power, the political, political people. It's actually easy to, to affect corruption in very small units, doing it in a mass basis where 150 people are voting or more is, you know, that becomes uh, mathematically almost impossible unless you're... So that was the purpose, is, is to, to run it through, let's clean this thing out, let's, let's try to get rid of the party's control. Let's face it, you know, if you under, really understand your history, we've had a two-party system of Republican and Democrats since 1860. Previous to that, we had parties that came and went. And the Electoral College then became very solidified with this um, party rule about where state-by-state electors have to vote or are are encouraged to vote. They use the term faithless or all this other stuff. That goes against the whole thing. Uh, We are much more than a Democratic or Republican party. We are Americans, and uh, we should be able to, to move beyond that and vote for the person and the administration that we want. Uh, and, and then when that's done, uh, and we know what the vote is over, then we all can get around it. And, and, and I think in, in, in 2016, 3 million people voted for, for Hillary more. And I look at it and I even try to explain to people, I go, and, and they said, why did you want to vote against Hillary in Colorado? And I go, well, in Colorado, more people did not want Trump. That there, there's a vote is both a positive and a negative. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a clear choice. So if more people don't want Trump, I'm trying to represent the people who don't want Trump here in Colorado. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, just a, it's the fight of redefining where we at Constitution. And, and I'm going to say the last thing is I learned this from uh, uh, Rob Nadelson, uh, even though he's on a political spectrum, on a complete opposite that I, I look at. He told me the way it functioned right now, it's the state and the state political officials who are actually doing the voting. When they open up Michael's ballot and they saw they didn't, they didn't vote the way they wanted him to vote, they, in their power, struck that, that, that vote, that dissent, and put somebody else in the stead that would do it for them. That's the state doing it. That's not the people. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that's many of the exact same arguments, even better said than we can in our illegal briefs, for sure. And, you know, for those who haven't listened or read, we'll post the briefs online. And we did, a, a Larry and I did a legal episode about this too, Bob. And I think that captures a lot. So Mike, you know, I think uh, Bob leaves us in a perfect place to then go to you and say, so you also kept up the fight for several years and, and, and you in some ways, because of your vote against Clinton had it the hardest, you, uh, you know, you got a lot of income messages and a lot of incoming criticism. And then lo and behold, last summer, um, after years of litigation, the Tenth Circuit issues this long opinion, and it says you were right the whole time. So so how did you sort of feel reading that? So I was actually in the middle of class when I found that opinion out. Um, and so I got to share that news with my students live. And I was ecstatic because um, I, I believe that what we did and what we were trying to do in, in 2016 
uh, was incongruent with all the laws, like we weren't violating anything. And so uh, when the courts finally said that what I did was was the right, not maybe not the right thing, but at least it was legally accurate, uh, then it means I didn't just disenfranchise the will of voters. It means I, I had an interpretation and I acted uh, on my own conscience and uh, I was able to, you know, not me alone, but like you have the heroes to my rights. And uh, it was just, I was very excited. And like Polly and Bob, I, uh, or yeah, like Polly and Bob, I've uh, been trying to continue this fight uh, any way I can because I do, I do believe in one person, one vote. Um, Million, I would say millions of Americans feel disenfranchised uh, because if you're a Republican in, tech, in California that's always going to go blue, you're, you're going to say that, oh, my vote doesn't matter, why vote? And then that creates a lo- level of voter apathy, which then uh, turns into a self-employed prophecy. I'm not going to vote for people who don't vote for me or vote in my interest, but then you don't vote and you don't have a country that reflects you. And so uh, I, I really felt at the time that this was, a, this was about preventing the most dangerous president uh, in modern American history. Um, and then it turned after the fact into this, hey, you know, we have an opportunity uh, to make serious constitutional, hopefully constitutional reform with the Electoral College. Um, move to a constitutional, how, you know, create a constitutional amendment, which requires so much more work than it is now, but have a constitutional amendment that uh, will allow for a one person, one vote uh, all across this country because it's just the way, it's, it's the way it should be. Yeah. And and so Polly, you you too kept this up for a while, and 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 you've seen a lot. Um, but I don't know that you've ever been a plaintiff or had a Supreme Court case. So so a couple of months after uh, we got that opinion from the appeals court in Denver, the Tenth Circuit, saying that you all had been right the whole time that electors are free to vote for whoever they wish, we also got word that the Supreme Court was going to accept the case, and and we'll be hearing it soon. So how how did that make you feel? I was excited about about that, that we would be heard by the Supreme Court of the United States. I mean, my goodness, I never thought I'd be a part of a, you know, I'd be a plaintiff in a suit that that would go that far. But I'm delighted that the court is going to hear our cause because we've got to make sure, we've got to do something about correcting the manner in which the Electoral College is used and, and works. Um, and if that means that that we go to the Supreme Court and try to convince them uh, to to uh, follow the United States Constitution, uh, then I, that's what we need to do. If they don't rule in our favor, I think we need to carry on the fight to continue to to resolve this issue in in, in another way. And so, Bob, then we'll we'll let you get the the last word in here. Um, you know, what do you hope? to see. So we we talked about the 10th Circuit decision. We talked about the moment when the Supreme Court accepted the case. Now we're on the just a couple of weeks away from the Supreme Court actually hearing arguments. What what do you hope to see from the justices when they hear argument and and, and ultimately in an opinion? Well, I I, I hope to see, again, country over party, where some uh, the uh, federalist judges and the liberal judges come together and both affirm that uh, electors uh, have freedom of discretion and also have standing. You know, it, uh, we see how state officials can get, can get really partisan political or very powerful in trying to step on small people who are standing up and, to, and, and, and moving forward in the electors. And so I, what I'm hoping is they affirm this. 
I hope that they, they stated strongly that electors have discretion and that they strike all the other 32 states' laws and say that, uh, and, and I think what that will do is make, it made people even in my local CD when they were, we were running again, uh, think, think deeply who is going to be their elector and why. Um, and uh, it's not just a ceremonial or honorary position. It's, it's, it's something that's, uh, like any elected position, a serious matter. And my hope is then, uh, once they affirm it, that the, the country really starts looking at uh, all of its electoral processes. And this, this jumps us toward uh, a national popular vote or national, you know, they call it national. What it really is, is uh, a form of a national referendum of who will be the president. And um, I just look at this as we, we could be doing something positive that has been waiting to happen. And I, my final thing is, Michael and Polly, it wouldn't have been happening without you guys stepping forward. I'm just a noisemaker back here. <laughs> you know, you guys, um, this, this is something. And, I, and of course, that goes uh, to the Washington uh, electors, uh, Chet. They... Um, it's, it, I think what I'm going to finish up by saying, people don't understand the amount of pressure that politically as well as individually from the legal point that people can bear on you to do something. Uh, and when it's, when it's the rightful descent to go to continue with the marching of our, our mechanisms, it um, shows a lot of courage. And those two really show it. Uh, I'm really complimentary. And, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I hope that would be we get a, a, a major majority decision, and uh, the Federalists join with the Liberals and reaffirm it. In that way, uh, you know the the, pe- the political people uh, won't have much to say, except that they lament the loss of control of the electors. Yeah, well, uh, l- f- fingers crossed on that one, Bob, and I can say it's going to be a real <laughs> thrill to be able to to present the case. I don't know that I'll be able to present it as cogently or as passionately as you three did, but uh, I'll do my best to channel it in, in front of the Supreme Court. And of course, Bob, I, I guess the place to leave it is, you know, you started this conversation by saying that, boy, wouldn't it be cool to have your name in the National Archives or something but by being right. an elector? Well, now, now your name is on the caption of a Supreme Court case, so... There's there's yeah. something else that, that is in the Library yeah, of Congress. Yeah, Polly, did, did you want to say anything else to close? One of the things that I that I hope is remembered through this, I mean, I I feel so honored to have been with Bob and Michael uh, in this case as plaintiffs, because we really are like, you know, David fighting Goliath. You know, we are the little guys that are just trying to change the manner in which we elect our president. You know, we, we live in a democracy with one exception. The people of this country never vote directly for president of the United States. They're voting for people like a slate, like us. And we would like them to see them be able to have their votes cast for the president of the United States, the ultimate authority as CEO, in, in a way that reflects their vote, one person, one, one vote. And right now, our country doesn't reflect that. So we don't really have a democracy when it comes to electing the president of the United States. And we need to either allow the electoral, the electors in the Electoral College to reflect the national popular vote or do away with this mechanism that prevents that from happening. 
Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, Polly. Well, thanks to each of you. We'll check back in with you as the case goes on. But um, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so very much, Jason.